Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. As we all move forward in light of COVID-19, we want to encourage you to make a priority of joining us in person for worship. Because as you know, listening to a podcast can never replace the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we look forward to seeing you soon. In the meantime, here is this week's message. Well, good morning. I'm glad to be here with you. We're going through um, Philippians. If you haven't been here in a while, maybe it's your first time here. We're in Philippians chapter four this morning. Paul is turning the corner. We're going to the end of the book. There's only four chapters in Philippians, so we're kind of in the final section. We'll actually close out the end of Philippians next week. But like most of his letters, at the end, Paul starts appealing to application. He's talked about so much already. He's talked about so many theological ideas. And now he's going to start um, really sharing with them how they are to live out the gospel in very much application form that's specific to this church. This is a church that's facing issues. And remember, he loves this church. In fact, how he starts the section off, I'll just read it to you. He says in Philippians 4.1, he says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. Listen to this. He says, I love you, and I long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. And so Paul tells him, he says, I love you. I can't wait to see you. They're his dear friends. There it is. They're his dear, see, I wasn't making it up. That's really what it says. They're his dear friends, and he calls them the joy and the crown he receives. They are the reward. The people are the reward for all the work of his ministry. They are his treasure. Right here, this reminds us to never forget people are the point of ministry. People are the point. So evidently, these people make up a pretty great church when they gather together. And that's comforting to us because what we're about to see is even good churches, even healthy churches, have problems. Did you know all churches have problems? Oh, y'all like, yes, I've been in church for a long time. Absolutely. But why? Why do all churches have problems? It's pretty simple. Because churches are full of what? That's right, people, and people have problems. It's just the way it goes. We live in a world where people are fallen, even Christians have sin, and so all of us need to be corrected and reminded in God's word. And so if this is your first time at church, or maybe you're going through some struggles at church, or maybe you haven't been church in a while or whatever, just know that all churches in all places have problems, even healthy churches. Because people have their own issues. Think about it. Each person has their own preferences. They have their own favorite program. They have a unique past, a certain pain they're working through, different problems, and each of us are made up of different personalities. Did you catch all those Ps? Spent a lot of time working on that. You should appreciate that more than you are. But we have all of these different things. So how could a church, when you bring all these people, all these individuals, with their preferences, programs, past, pains, problems, and personalities, and you put them all together, how could a church just not experience problems? Of course it is. What makes a church healthy is not the absence of problems. What makes a church healthy is how they deal 
with those problems. How they resolve that we're going to confront them, we're going to deal with them, and we're going to follow Jesus in the midst of these difficult circumstances. So they have to corporately address them and individually address the problems and issues and sins that they are all facing. Because this is what we're about to see from Paul. We're about to see how he loves this church. He literally says, look, he says, what? I love you. So he loves these people and he loves them enough to call them out on the things they need to deal with, the things they need to confront. He's leading them to be the people that they are supposed to be in Christ Jesus. And I won't bore you with the details, but this is a transitional verse. And so when he says, stay true to the Lord, he's speaking of what he just talked about, and he's speaking about what he's about to talk about. We don't need to know why, just know it's true. So he's about to explain to them, this church with their specific issues, here's what it looks like to stay true to the Lord. And luckily for us, the same problems they dealt with, well, you may find we deal with as well because we're still people. Not much has changed. We still have our issues. And so in a rapid fire way, he'll address several issues. And one thing I just want us to remember is this letter would have been read out loud. Remember, they loved Paul. Paul loved them. They'd been waiting to hear from him. What does Paul say? So the church would be gathered just like this. And then they would have just heard out loud, Paul, read this whole report to the church. You're like, yeah, they read it out loud. But why is that a big deal? I mean, we get that. Watch. Here's what Paul does next, Philippians 4, 2. He says, now I appeal to Euodia and to Sententi. Please, because you belong to the Lord. Settle your disagreements. How embarrassed would you be if in the middle of the entire church, Paul calls you out? These two women go down in history as the two who Paul had to rebuke publicly and say, settle your disagreements. You're arguing, you need to deal with this. This kind of makes you think about your legacy, doesn't it? How do you want to be remembered in church? Think about it. But unity, what we have to know is unity is a primary issue for the local church. It's a primary gospel issue. And we know this isn't a theological issue they're dealing with because Paul would have corrected it. He's never afraid to deal with theology and correct theology. This is more than likely a preference issue, just something they're not getting along about. And so Paul just publicly calls them out in front of the whole group publicly. So I figured this morning it would be good for me to name a couple of people. I'm just kidding. How uncomfortable was that though? Right? Like what you're like, oh man, he's about to do it. I know it. Here it comes. No, but like that's how unsettling this would have felt. But let me ask you, how would you receive this? Or how do you receive people speaking into your life? Do you have people who can be honest and open and confront your sin, your problems. We all need people in our lives that can be gut-wrenching honest, don't we? Other than our spouse. I don't know why. We don't receive it from our spouse very well, do we? But, but honestly, do you have people? I can tell you I do, and I don't like them half the time. But I know they love me enough 
to be honest and open about things I need to work on. We all need, you, me, we, we need people in our lives who are, who are willing to speak into them and say, listen, you got to deal with this. And if you don't have that, I want to encourage you to think through some relationships. I mean, that's, that's part of what these life transformation groups are about, to have people who are willing to, to be honest with us and speak truth in us. But if we have those type of relationships, we have to be ready for that. we got to be able to receive that. The other day, I was talking with a church member. It was Tim. I'll call him. I don't even think he's here. Nope. So good. I was talking with Tim, and, he was, and we were just publicly talking about something, and he just said, yeah, you're petty. And I just looked at him. I was like... I was like, I'm not, I'm not petty. He's like, yeah, you are. And he kept talking. I was like, was this some common knowledge thing I don't know about? Like, I don't, I don't appreciate how he's just speaking about it in passing. Like, I'm supposed to know. Because I didn't know. I never thought about it. And so all week, I had to text him this week. I said, Tim, I think you're right. And of course, he already knew he was right. <laughs> but it bothers me. I was like, I'm not petty. There's no way I'm petty. Then I think back to the fact that I was blowing me and Scott's day up about the decoration of his office. I said, wow, what a blind spot. I have other people who do this. Alan does this. I'm calling him out. No, that's just the way it is. I'll talk to him. I'll say, hey, here's what I'm going with. And he goes, well, as the pastor, and I hate that he says it because he's been a pastor. And so usually if I ask somebody something, I'm like, they don't, they've never been a pastor. They don't get it. But he goes, as the pastor, you need to. And I was like, I don't like anything that's about to come out of your mouth. It's uncomfortable. And I don't tell you this to brag. I tell you this because we all need it. Because if I don't have other people speaking in my life, who am I left alone with? Me. And me and myself, we agree on everything. And I can just sit there in my own thoughts and dwell and talk about it. And man, me and myself, we throw a pity party that is amazing. But we need people to speak into our lives, to tell us the truth. We need people to say, listen, you need to work on this. You need to deal with that. But it takes a mature believer. And that's what Paul shows us here. He's calling these people out because evidently this was what you did. This is how you dealt with issues. You had to say, listen, y'all got to fix this thing. Because something else is happening, this disagreement, something else is at stake. There's a bigger issue going on, and he lets us know what it is. In verse 3, he says this. He says, and I ask you, my true partner... To help these two women, for they worked, past tense, worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. Now, the literal word here for true partner is joke fellow. It's probably like a nickname for somebody. We don't know who it is. Evidently, they knew who it is. But he is telling this person to get involved and help them work through this situation because Lean, and this is important, because they used to, in the past, he's seen the good work they've done. And when you have disagreements and you have problems and you're, and you're kind of fighting with somebody, you end up being distracted, don't you? You end up being distracted from the actual work you're supposed to do. They used to be on fire for making and maturing disciples. Now they're caught up in a disagreement, in an argument. And Paul knows this, and he's saying, listen, conflict has to be addressed in the church, not because everybody wants to get involved in your disagreements, and not all of them are the same. But the point is when a disagreement or this problem or this sin starts getting in the way of ministry, when that becomes a priority and Jesus' mission takes a back seat, Paul's like, no, this needs to be dealt with. 
We need to deal with for your sake. So you can get back on board with what God is doing in this world. So you can avoid just focusing on this, 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 this issue. And so Paul encourages us, listen, like if you can't figure it out, you need to bring someone else into this. You need to deal with this. You need to work through that disagreement, that argument, so you can come together for the sake of Jesus Christ. Because all of us, when we're in disagreements or we have problems, we look for people who agree with us, don't we? It's human nature. Like if you have a little conflict in the church, do you look for people who will rebuke you or do you look for people who agree with you? I already know the answer to that. Let's not lie. Right? We want the people who agree with us that will get on our side. And Paul's like, no, 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 we don't want that. We don't need sides. We don't need people pitting up against each other in the church. We need to deal with that issue and move on. Now, as a church, us, particular First Baptist Church, we're about to deal with an issue that can be considered a big deal in churches. And like Paul, I just want to be direct about the situation. I'm not going to call anybody else. So take a deep breath. But we're about to deal with an issue that could be a big issue. So I want to bring it to light so we could just deal with it. As I mentioned last week, our pews are separating. Some of you know because you've sat in them and it sounded like you gained 30 pounds, right? Maybe you have. You don't want the pew telling you about that, do you? All right, some of you have been pinched. We've had people, the pew break while they were sitting in the middle of a service. And pews are a thing at church. I'm not exactly sure why. It just is what it is. And so we're going to deal with the issue. We're going to deal with the fact that they're cracking. We're going to figure it out. We're bringing in some experts to chime in. But here's what I'm saying. We're not, as a church, going to allow seats to distract us from the mission of Jesus Christ. We're not going to allow what we sit in to distract us from making and maturing disciples of Jesus Christ. We're going to work on the issue we're going to think about our future. We're going to think about the cost. We're going to prayerfully consider options. But what I'm saying is we're going to handle this like mature Christians. Because churches have split for far less than that. And if pews become a primary discussion in your life, let me say it another way. If you're talking more about pews than you are making and maturing disciples of Jesus Christ, then you've missed it. Repent from that. And get back on to what Jesus has called us to do. Because a seed is simply a seed. And so I want to bring it to light so we can just deal with it. Hey, know it's coming up. No, we got to work through it. And we got to resolve that this isn't going to be a big issue. We're just going to work on it. We're going to pray through it. And we're going to let God do his thing. Because Paul reminds us that, listen, these issues, you just deal with them. They're normal. They happen. Issues happen in church. But mature believers come together to work it out and just move on. And Paul says, listen, you need to deal with these issues because all of our names, those of who are Christians, those are the people you're arguing with, fussing about, maybe you're mad at, all of their names are written in the book of what? What does that mean? You might as well deal with it now because you're going to spend eternity with these people. You're like, I don't, I don't know. Yes. And I don't know about you, but I started thinking about this. I was like, well, God has a sense of humor. Y'all ever notice that? They may be your neighbors for eternity. Might as well start working on it now. They may be your roommates. You never know. So Paul says, listen, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. If you have something going on, if you got a disagreement with someone in the church, it's okay. Just deal with it. And now we address these two issues that both, both uh, can apply to the issue of unity or just general commands. Here's what he says at verse 4. 
He says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Listen, all of us struggle to find joy in the world. So many things want to rob us and take away our joy, whether it's disagreement, worry, illness, gas prices, or just the fact that we live in a sinful world. It is what it is. And so all of us have to understand joy is not easily maintained. But what does Paul tell us to rejoice in? The fact that you got a new boyfriend, the fact that you got a raise, the fact that someone liked your video, the fact that you're sitting in a pew. What does he tell you to find joy in? And what? But that's very important, church. This is why we get off track, personally and corporately, when we stop finding joy in Jesus. When we look to other things to make us happy. When we think that'll fill us, that'll satisfy us, that'll make me better, that'll finally fix that need I have. Paul's like, no, no, it won't. We rejoice in Jesus Christ. We understand the gospel. We understand that we are deserving, right? Because all of us get entitled. You ever been a little bit entitled, feel like you deserve something? If you've ever got mad, then yes, you have. That's what that is. You feel like you're owed something. And maybe you are, but usually we go a little too far, right? And so all of us have to deal with entitlement. We feel like God owes us or someone owes us. And so when that doesn't happen, we get upset and whatever. But what we have to understand, the Bible tells us that all of us are deserving of God's wrath. But God. Right? But he stepped in and he saved us and he's made it, declared us holy, and he's justified us and redeemed us, like all of these amazing things. And so because of Christ, we rejoice in our salvation. We, re, we rejoice in Jesus Christ. That's why we really believe, and I, and, I, and I promise I believe this, and I hope you hear me repeat myself. I believe the most important thing in your life is your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that you continually seek him. You read your Bible, you pray, and, and we were talking about in Sunday school class, I don't know how it works or why it works, but God just shows up in that. But we have to be dependent upon him. And so if we're trying to find joy in this other stuff, you're like, Brian, I don't know if I'm, if I, if I'm finding joyful or where I got my joy. It's like, well, if something gets taken away, how upset do you get? When the stocks start to plummet, do you get really upset and worried? Right, you're putting your hope and your joy in that. Jesus is the only thing that maintains. So put your hope, your joy in Jesus Christ. Next up, he says this, verse five. He says, let everyone see that you are considerate. Yes, Rocky, even when you drive. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. So he calls us to be considerate and gracious towards others. Rather than be hot-tempered, rather than be explosive, we're to be gentle. Even with people who disagree with us politically, we're to be gentle. Because we live in a culture, and you know this already, I'm just reminding you of things you already know. We live in a culture where it's normal for people to attack people. It's normal for us to demonize pe people or over-spiritualize issues, to make some people right and some people wrong. And then on the internet, we just start pounding people and complaining about people. But as Christians, that's not what we're called to. We're called to be gracious with others. And within our church, when we're doing things, we're to be gracious with other people. When our joy is found in Jesus, and then we show compassion, when we show understanding, do you see how we could fix just about any disagreement you could possibly come up with. 
That's what Paul is saying. Be compassionate. Be gentle with other people, with everybody we come in contact with. He said, because the Lord is coming soon. You're going to have to stand before him and give an account. He's coming back. And so work through your disagreements in a Christ-honoring way because we're going to have them. And the church and our relationships with our kids, with our spouse at work, it's going to happen. So find your joy in Jesus. Come together and be gentle and considerate with other people. That's why James says this, James 4.1. He says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? We're like, I don't know. He says, well, don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? He says, isn't the true reason why you fight with other people because that evilness in you? Because you want your way, you want it to be your way or the highway, and then you start fighting and fussing, and then we start bringing up all these reasons why we're right. He's like, listen, listen, let that go. You see, our war isn't with other believers. The war needs to be fought in your heart. Rage is war in there. That's why our relationship with Jesus Christ is so important. Let him deal with that. He changes gear with us. Verse 6, he says this. He says, and so... Don't worry about what? Like anything? Right, anything. Don't worry about anything. Listen, worrying is a human issue. Worrying has been around since sin has entered the world. And worrying is defined as give away to anxiety or unease, allow one's mind to dwell on difficulties or troubles. Do you allow yourself to dwell on the difficult and the troubling times? For the Christian, I got to get to the point here, so just trust me. For the Christian, worrying just shows or just is a simply lack of trust of God. We just don't trust God with what we got going on. Where you are worried is where you are trying to be in control. And the reason why you're worried about it is because you're not really in control. Think about it with me. You don't worry about things you can control, do you? For instance, I don't worry about the temperature of my house. Because if I'm cold, what do I do? Turn the heat up. I can control it. If I'm hot, what can I do? Turn the AC on. You don't worry about things you can control. The reason why you worried is because you're not really in control when you want to be in control. And we think, well, if I just have more, right? We think that, well, maybe worrying is just because I don't have enough. So maybe I need some more money, or maybe I need to know more information. But listen, the truth is, and you know this, folks, we live in the richest time the world's ever seen. We live in the most connected culture the world has ever seen. We have more knowledge, more connected. We have more specialists and more experts than the world has ever seen before. Does that seem to have taken care of the worry issue? Or does it just seem to be compounded? We do it even more now, don't we? So while a lot of things have gotten better, we, we clearly, truly don't trust God. We've started trusting in these other things. And I know the world's thought, well, with all our advancements, we got this. And then COVID happens, Russia happens, the gas prices happen, inflation happens. The next thing you know, we realize we're pretty fragile, aren't we? We really don't have all the answers, do we? And so all of that worrying, though, what does it produce in your life? Paul says you don't need to worry. You can give it to God. Look what he says. Don't worry about anything, but take that energy. Keep going. Next slide. 
He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. So instead of worrying, all that energy you use to keep worrying about something, instead of that, he says, take it to God and pray about it. Don't worry, rather trust God. Give it to him. Thank him for what he has done and let him get you through. Because you can't give it to him and keep it at the same time. I can't give you $5 and keep the $5. I can't give God that situation and then sit here and hold on to that situation at the same time. God says, you got to pick. If you want it, you can have it. And here's what we do, and you know this. Instead of giving it to him, we keep it to ourselves. We want to act like these little gods who are in control, don't we? We want to figure it out. And what happens? It crushes us. The other day on Wednesday, I was lifting weights and it was leg day. I had my weightlifting belt on and I was trying to be an active, not passive husband. You, all the men in the men's study, you know what I'm talking about. I was working through so many stuff I didn't feel like doing. And so anyways, I was doing it in the morning. I was trying to, trying to help my wife with the kids getting ready in the morning. And so I was lifting weights and I was coming back in to check so I could help with the hair. And so Troy was like, what's that belt on, dad? I was like, it's my weightlifting belt, son. He's like, you don't need that. I was like, you're 10. He's like, what do, you, what do you mean? I don't. He's like, Dad, the videos I watch online, the videos we watch, people don't wear those weightlifting belts. And I was like, son, we watch fail videos of people getting hurt. I didn't have the heart to explain irony at 6.30 in the morning working through all this, right? So I just did his hair. And I said, well, tell me about it. With all your expertise and, and abilities, you tell me about how I need to lift weights. I don't know. I was just in one of those moods. So I did. He started explaining to me, and I don't know why I let him keep going. I was kind of intrigued and also just amazed at how stupid what he was saying was. And I was, just, I was just listening to him. Because listen, I've been lifting weights for a long time. I've never hurt myself squatting. And I'm, I'm pretty strong. I'm, Tommy, I admit, you'd be scared to go with me on leg day, Tommy. Tommy, just, you know, you'd be scared. Tommy, you'd be scared. Just know that, Tommy, you'd be scared, okay? So I mean, I'm pretty strong. And I've never gotten hurt. And I'm listening to this little kid who can't even do a push-up tell me about what I need to do. And I just let it go. I thought, that has to be how God feels and sees us, isn't it? Like we sit here and act like experts about life. We want to tell him about everything that needs to be done. We want control. We lack trust. We sit here and dwell on all this negativity and we sit out and spout and worry and stress. And, and I just see him saying, because you were so confident about something you know nothing about. I created the world. I spoke it all into existence. I have a plan and I have a purpose and I specifically designed you. I've brought you this far in life and provided everything for you. And you just sit there and dwell on all this negativity and act like you want to be in control. It's like you just distrust everything I've done. So I've been doing this. That's where I hear God saying I've been doing this for a long time, and in your 30 or 40 or 80 years, you think you got this? I was before time, son. That's how I hear him talking to me, right? Like, I, I don't know what God sounds like to you. It's what he says to me. Because all of us, we have this thing within us that calls us to want to live independent from God, right? We got this. We don't need you. I have it figured out. And here's the thing about God. If you worry, this is important. Listen, if you worry, it's because God will let you sit in that. If you want to control it, he'll go, here you go. 
And you just sit in it and you feel the pressure and the weight because you actually can't control it. You're not God. You're not that powerful. You can't predict the future. You don't know what's going to happen. So he'll let you sit in that worry and stress and it'll crush you. And it'll destroy you and it'll bring up this anxiety and stress. And next thing you know, you think something's wrong. What's wrong is you lack trust in God. That's why Paul says, don't worry. Give it to God. You see, we're not meant to carry that kind of weight. We're not the creator. So he says, give it to me. And so what we do is we give it to God, understanding it may not work out the way we want. It may not work out the way we think should go, but we trust that God is good, that his promises come true, that he loves us and cares for us and has our best interests at heart. We say, God, look, here's what I think needs to happen. I'll let you worry about it. And I'm gonna get back to doing what only I can do. So we live in dependence of him. And look what he says, verse seven. He says, then you will experience God's peace. When we stop trying to control and do it all, we give it to him. Then we will experience God's peace, peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. When we recognize that we are truly and utterly dependent upon him, when we give this stuff to him, then we will live in peace, understanding we aren't in control. We're not supposed to be in control, but we trust him. And so if you start feeling anxious, nervous, scared, when those feelings start bubbling up, that needs to be an alarm that goes off in your mind saying, I just need to pray. I need to give this to God. I need to let him deal with it. I need to give it to him, like hand it over to him. Say, God, I'm not going to think about this anymore. This is on you. I'm going to keep going about and deal with the things only I can control. I got to worry about what I can do. And that's what Paul says. Yeah, think about positive things. Look what he says next, verse 8. He says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts. Fix your thoughts on what is true, what is honorable, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. We've looked at this verse so many times. I just want to mention this to you. Nobody worries about positive things, do they? We don't call that worrying. We worry about negativity. We worry about problems, anxiety. We worry about things we can't control. And Paul says, yeah, yeah, don't do that. Don't fix your think, thoughts on what you can't control. Fix your thoughts on good stuff, positive things, true things, like that God loves you and cares about you, honorable, right, pure, anything worthy of praise. Paul's like, listen, pray about things and start thinking about the good things. Start thinking about who God is, what he has done, how he's brought you this far. Don't dwell on the negativity. Got to adjust our thought life. And so here's the deal, folks. All of us are going to have problems and struggles. Both personally and corporately as the body of Christ. And at the end of the day, all Paul is trying to do is teach us, teach me and you in the church, here's what it looks like for you to follow Jesus Christ. Here's what it looks like to be like Jesus and sometimes we just need someone to call us out on our sin. Sometimes we need someone to just point out, like, what you're doing here isn't working. It's not how God wants you to live. You need to go ahead and put that to death and move to something different. Like, Brian, it's not the easy. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't, but you need to work towards that. Just call things what they are. This is wrong. I don't need to, I don't need to worry like this. It's not from God. It's not what God wants from me, so I'm going I'm to give it to him. You may have to give it to him every five minutes. Y'all have things like that going on in your life? Yeah, yeah, so pray every five minutes. What's wrong with that? 
Would you rather worry every five minutes? Because it's there either way, right? Would you rather worry every five minutes or pray every five minutes? I'm going to tell you, one of those are going to help you. One of those are going to harm you. So pray about it. And I know all of us, we want to live independently. But here's what I came up with. I thought it was just, it was just an interesting thought for this week. You see, Jesus never broke any of these commands, right? This is how Jesus lived. This is the things he did. And by living this way, which is challenging for us, but think about this, by living this way, being prayerfully dependent upon the Lord, not worrying and so on and so on, he solved the world's greatest problem. He solved our greatest problem. He lived this way, the ways we want to rebuke because we want to do it our own thing or we want to sit in our sin, we want to sit in our anger, we just want to be mad, whatever our reason is. He lived this way and got far more accomplished in three years than most of us will ever do in our life. Isn't that true? You see, what is suggesting is the way God has designed us and created us to live. And when we follow Jesus with our difficulties, our lack of joy, when we deal, rather pray, rather than worry, when we do these things, we will find we can get far more done. We can live a far healthier life. It's the ignoring these things that's causing that sin and that stress and that worrying. It's saying, ah, I'll do it in my own way. But when we realize that he invites us into a better way of life, he invites us in a way to get more things done simply by following him in all these areas. See, conflict is normal, even in healthy churches. But what makes a church healthy is when we address it and deal with it and move on. We follow Jesus. This church did. Philippians, known as a great church, still had plenty of things to work through. So join me as we try to follow Jesus daily. Think about what that aspect is. I have a feeling worry may be a top priority for some of us, right? Just start praying more. And I can't explain and I don't know why he shows up in it. So trust him in that. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. This morning we are reminded to put our faith and in, in practice every single day with everything we do. Father, all of us here want to experience your peace. Paul says when we do these things, the peace of God will be with us. And Father, we want you to be with us. We want you to guard our hearts and guard our minds. There's so much going on in this world, Lord, that we just do not understand. The amazing thing is, Lord, is you haven't asked us to fix it. You are God. You are in control. So, Father, this week, we're going to pray about these situations we don't understand. We're going to tell you our heart's desire and will. But we're also going to trust that you're doing what you know is the right thing. And while we don't understand your plans and purposes, Lord, we trust that. We trust that we are merely creatures, not the creator. We trust that you are a holy God that loves us and cares for us. We trust that your ways are much greater than ours. So, Father, we love you and thank you so much for Jesus. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen.